Good evening. That was wonderful. I just want to thank you all for engaging in worship. And she's going to get me for this later, but I just want to thank Nicole too. She is a gift from God to our church as our worship leader. And we appreciate her so much. Yeah, yes, give her. I tell her, I said, it's real, you know, I get to walk out on the clouds that she's already created with worship here at the, at the Oasis. So, and I know she doesn't do it for the praise of men, but every once in a while, as the Bible says, it's good to honor those who are serving the Lord so faithfully, and she does each and every week. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. The Corinthians were being saved out of paganism. And so there was a lot of weird beliefs about death and what happened to someone after they died and if anything happened after they died. And, you know, some people believed that death was it, that there was nothing after they died. And then there were others that believed, well, the, the spirit was resurrected, but the body was never resurrected. It just laid there in the ground and you know, all these different things. And so God laid it upon Paul and other, uh, others' hearts to be able to speak truth into a situation like this. Again, not just so people could come to be saved in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared multiple times we're not only saved by that, but Paul said to the Corinthians, you stand in that every day. Because Jesus lives, we will live. Jesus said, you know, I'm the resurrection and the life. You believe in me, though you were dead, yet shall you live. And so God wanted to speak truth about death. And he wanted to do it not only to comfort and console those that were losing loved ones and friends in death, but even to... to sort of deal with their own impending death, how do we look at death? And how do we lose our fear of death? And how does the coming of the Lord even tie in to what we're going to talk about tonight? And then most importantly, I'm going to spend a lot of time on this because I said at the very beginning of this series on prophecy that prophecy was primarily given by God as a motivation for ministry. That's primarily why God gave prophecy. Many Christians get caught up in just learning about prophecy to fill their head with prophetic facts. God gave it to motivate us to serve him and minister for him as we believe in what's coming. If we truly believe in what the Bible says is coming for us, then we would get real busy in serving and ministering for the Lord. So tonight's message really ties into our series in Luke on Sunday mornings on what does it mean to really serve and be a servant of the Lord. I, I just want to read this passage to you and then go down through and share some of the thoughts that God laid on my heart uh, from this passage tonight. It starts in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. And up to this point, Paul has talked a lot about the resurrection. And how if Jesus never rose from the dead, we are to be pitied above everyone else on earth. But Christ has risen from the dead. Uh, 
It has been said that if Jesus Christ never rose from the dead, then nothing really matters. But if Jesus Christ did rise from the dead, then nothing else really matters. Now this is what I'm saying, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 50, 1550, brothers and sisters. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the blinking of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. Now when this perishable puts on the imperishable and this mortal puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will happen, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now based on all that, then notice how Paul ends this chapter. He ends by saying, then we as Christians, if all this is true, then this should give us all the fuel we need to be devoted, energetic, enthusiastic servants of the Lord. Notice how he ends. So then, dear brothers, based on what I've told you, be firm, do not be moved. Always be outstanding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. This is a passage that many times throughout my 35 years as a pastor, I have used at funeral services. And primarily, or more specifically, at the graveside. Because I wanted to use this passage to give hope to those that were there when we're burying Christians that they are being buried in this place in the certainty of future resurrection. And that what we are grieving here at that moment, their death, is just a temporary separation because Christ has given us victory over death through his triumph over death. And that death for the Christian as we learn here, it's simply entrance into a place called heaven. It's simply entrance into glory because Paul starts out this passage by saying, look, folks, you want to be part of Christ's heavenly kingdom? You want to receive the blessings and benefits of God's heavenly kingdom? You can't do it with this flesh and blood because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can the perishable inherit the imperishable. Let's talk for a moment about what the word perishable means. It means to be in a state of decomposition or decay. And so the Bible is telling us, look, as, as much as maybe we don't you know, like to talk about death and like to face death and all of that, we have to realize that in this state, that we're in right now, even as a Christian, we cannot receive the blessings and benefits of God's heavenly kingdom in this body. This body that is decaying and decomposing has got to be laid aside because if we're going to enjoy God and his presence 
and all that he has for us for all of eternity, we got to put on another body. And Paul's going to talk about that. Now, for just a moment, too, I want to take you to a passage of Scripture. <clears throat> Keep your finger in 1 Corinthians and go back to the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. Some of you may not be familiar with this passage, so I thought this was a good time to point this out. If you ever wanted to know in the Bible, where does it talk about growing old and all that goes along with growing old, it's Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the first seven verses. And can I tell you, even after reading and studying this and even after, you know, each year that goes by, huh, Pastor Jeff gets a little bit older, that growing old is not for wimps. <laughs> growing old is not for the weak of heart. Growing old is difficult. Watching our physical body decompose and decay year after year after year, not easy. Not easy to deal with emotionally and physically and even spiritually. And yet, and yet, the promise of God's word is we do not despair because though our outward man is perishing day by day, the inner man can be renewed day by day. 2 Corinthians 4.16. Because we're not putting all of our emphasis on the external physical body. But, and, and can I say too, Solomon describes growing old in a very poetic way. In some ways, sort of puts some humor in there. Maybe you won't see it very humorous, depending on how old you are. I don't know. So let's just look at this real quickly, because I don't want to spend a lot of time here. But he says, so remember your creator in the days of your youth, chapter 12, verse 1, before the difficult days come. So even God says, look, I know growing old isn't easy. It's difficult to watch these bodies, if you will, perish. The years draw near when you will say, I have no pleasure in them. In other words, it gets harder than it does get easier. Before the sun and the light of the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds disappear after the rain. When those who keep watch over the house begin to tremble, what keeps watch over the house? The house is the body. What keeps watch over the house? The legs and the arms. And he's saying that they will begin to maybe shake as we get older. They're not as stable and secure as they used to be. And the virile men begin to stoop over. We begin to lose our posture as we get older. And the grinders, that's our teeth, begin to cease because they grow few. And those who look through the windows grow dim, meaning our eyesight gets worse and worse. And the doors along the street are shut when the sound of the grinding mill grows low. Grows low. In other words, not only our eyesight, but then our hearing begins to go. And then one is awakened by the sound of a bird, which speaks of for many, as we get older, we have a harder time sleeping, and it doesn't take much at all to wake us up in the middle of the night. And all the songs then begin to grow faint, again, harder and harder to hear. And as we get older, our world gets more and more reduced because 
as we get sort of less stable and less confident in our physical body and physical capabilities, we begin to do less and less because of fear, maybe of falling or whatever. So it says, and they are afraid of heights, verse five, and the dangers in the street, and the almond blossoms grow white, which speaks about our hair if you have it. <clears throat> and the grasshopper dragging itself along, Again, gets harder to even walk. And the caper berry shrivels up because man goes to his eternal home. We don't have the vim and vigor and energy, if you will, that we used to have. And the mourners go about in the streets. And then verse 6, before the silver cord is removed or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the well. All of these speak about a well, and the well, especially in the Old Testament, speaks about, in a sense, the, the, that capacity to draw from, if you will, is no longer there. We, we don't have that second and third gear that maybe when we were in our 20s or 30s, we used to. As we get older, we used to have more of a reserve, more of a well. As you get older, you have less and less to pull from. That's what he's speaking of there. Or the water wheel is broken even at the cistern. Can't bring up any reserves anymore. And the dust then finally returns to the earth as it was, and the life's breath returns to God who gave it. That's a description of us perishing. Not a very pretty picture. But that's why God says, look, I don't want you to be in that state. And first of all, you couldn't be in that state. And spend all of eternity with me and what I have planned for you. So you must lay it aside, back to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50, and put on the imperishable. Imperishable simply means it is unable to experience any kind of deterioration at all. An unending existence at a high level. Think about it. All you and I know on earth is that we change always in the negative way from a physical perspective, less and less and less. What God has for us after we die and we go to heaven is that there's never any deterioration at all. Nothing ever is less. Even a billion years from now, you and I will still be at the same high level we were the moment we entered into glory and received our body. Hallelujah for that. So he says, verse 51, listen, pay careful attention to what I am telling you because I'm getting ready to tell you a mystery. Now remember, the word mystery in the New Testament is not something that is unknowable. It is something that only can be known because God revealed it. That's what a mystery is. So if we're paying attention and listening to what God has revealed, then a lot of times we can be comforted and assured in things because a lot of times the more we know about a subject, the more calm and composed and confident in all that we can be. And the same thing is true about death and what happens to us after we die and all of that. And obviously God has a plan for us after we die because then he says first of all we will not all sleep now in the new testament 
The word sleep is a metaphor for the death of a Christian only. It is never used in relationship to the unbeliever who's died. That doesn't mean that an unbeliever's body will not be resurrected too at some point, which is one of the implications of why the word sleep is used for the believer's death. Because when one is asleep, one always wakes back up from sleep. But the other way this word is used is to speak about someone at rest, someone who's at peace. And the death of an unbeliever is in no way a peaceful, restful condition. Once they go out into eternity, and even before they go out into eternity, there is nothing peaceful or restful about the death of an unbeliever. Trust me. I've been, as I've told you before, in the hospital rooms of believers and unbelievers. I've been in nursing homes of believers and unbelievers. I've done funerals of believers and unbelievers. I've seen the contrast between not only those who are in attendance, but the person themselves who's dying, who knows where they're going to go when they die, and those who have no hope after death. And there is no rest, the Bible says, for one who does not know Christ and does not have the assurance and confidence that we have because we believe in what God's Word says concerning this. So sleep is used. Because again, he's saying, look, death is not the end for any of us. It is, as we say, entrance into our eternal state. So, he says, we will not all sleep or experience physical death but we will all have to be changed. We will all have to be transformed and made different. Why? Because perishable cannot inherit the imperishable. Now, I want to say this too. This also teaches that at the rapture of the church, when Jesus Christ comes to get his church, that means that there is a generation of Christians who are never going to experience physical death. They're going to be alive when Jesus comes. So that's why Paul says, we will not all experience physical death. But in order to go to the imperishable place, we've all got to be changed. We've got to be made different. We've got to exchange this perishable for the imperishable. Now, I want to say this, and we're going to talk more about this next week. Next week, I hope you come back. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. We're going to talk about the rapture of the church next week and all the details of that. But I will say this based upon even what Paul said here. Do you realize by Paul using the pronoun we that Paul himself thought that he would still be alive when Jesus came? Now think about that. Paul was a pretty solid theologian, a pretty solid Christian. He wrote more of the New Testament than anybody else did. Even 2,000 years ago, Paul thought that he was still going to be alive when Jesus returned, which means if Paul thought that, how much more could you and I be part of that generation? Some, some Christians are going to be part of that generation. There's going to be a group of Christians that are not going to have to go through physical death. They're going to be alive on planet Earth when Jesus Christ comes for his church. But everybody, every Christian, is going to have to be changed, transformed. So Paul goes on to talk about that change. 
And he says, this change is going to take place in time too small to be measured. That's the wording here in the original. In literally what you and I would call in our language in a split second. That's how quickly God is going to affect this change upon us, whether when we're alive, when he comes. Because he says, in a moment, in the blinking or twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead who have already died, who are not alive until Christ comes back, will be raised imperishable. By the way, why a trumpet? Because in the Bible, the trumpet, one of its great purposes was to announce victory, victory over death. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment at the bottom of this passage. But I want you to turn real quickly back to 1 Corinthians 15, 26. What does Paul say earlier on? He says the last enemy to be eliminated or victorious over is death. You see, one day God is saying, no more death, that's it, done, you see. And so the trumpet sounds to announce victory once and for all over death. There will be no more death. And those who are alive will be raised imperishable. They will be raised to immortality, to indestructibility, just as those of us who die before the rapture of the church will put on that imperishable body. Now, let me stop here. I don't want to take too much time because I'm going to develop it a little bit later on in these messages. But I get asked the question a lot, well, if these bodies of the righteous dead are not raised until the rapture of the church, then what's going on up there with us now? Because doesn't the Bible say to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord? So, Pastor, if you're telling me that as a Christian, I die and I go immediately to be with the Lord, and yet my body is here on earth somewhere or in some state, and it's not put back together and reformed and restored until the rapture, then how am I existing up in heaven? I believe, not all, you know, believe this, I believe that God gives us an intermediate body to exist in, in heaven, until our body is resurrected at the rapture of the church. See, I don't think, based on 2 Corinthians 5, that God ever means for us to go bodiless, to be this floating sort of spirit through heaven until this body is resurrected. And there's plenty of scriptural support for this. Let me give you just a couple that you can look up for yourself. There's a story of the rich man and Lazarus who died that Jesus gives. And he talks about them in bodily form. Well, obviously, this is before the rapture, right? And yet it says, dipping the finger and, and putting it on my tongue. I mean, they're using bodily language there. Then how about Elijah and Moses? Did they not appear in bodily form on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus Christ? In fact, Peter says, I saw Elijah and Moses. They, they weren't some ghost. They weren't just some spirit floating around. They had a body. So I believe that this, based upon this and many other passages, that God gives us an intermediate body to exist in until our body is resurrected at the rapture. What we do know is this. 
All of us are not going to sleep, but all of us are going to have to experience that change because perishable cannot inherit the imperishable. So he reemphasizes this in verse 53. He says, this perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. Now when this perishable puts on the imperishable and this mortal puts on immortality, then the saying, literally the word of God, the promise of God that has been written down will happen just as God said it would. Because that's true of all God's promises and all God's word. And if you and I want reassurance of that, all we have to do as Christians is have the advantage of looking back to all the prophecies of Christ's first advent in the Bible. Every prophecy concerning Christ's first coming happened just as God said it would, you see. Well, then what about Christ's second advent? Well, if we know that every promise God gave concerning his first advent happened just as God said it would, that gives us the confidence and reassurance that everything, including what we're reading in 1 Corinthians 15 tonight, is going to happen just as God said it would. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Literally, drunk down. That's what the word swallowed means. It's been devoured. It's been destroyed through Christ's victory, through Christ's conquest. You see, Christ got the victory when he died on the cross for our sins. That's why his last words on the cross were, it is finished. Literally, it's done the victory has already been won. That's when the veil of the temple was rent in two from top to bottom. It was done. Hell, death, Satan, all of that was defeated at that moment. So as I've said before then, you and I as Christians, we're not fighting for victory. We fight every day from victory. We are to live in the victory that's already been given to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Which is why he goes on to say to the Christian, if death has been destroyed through Christ's victory, then where, O oh death, is your victory? It is nowhere. It cannot exist. It cannot be found. Where, O oh death, is your sting? Where are the painful wounds? Even through Christ's victory, we have been delivered from fear of death. Let me have you turn there for just a moment, and we'll come back to 1 Corinthians 15. Go to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews. Chapter 2, verse 14. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he likewise shared in their humanity so that through death he could destroy the one who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and set free those who were held in slavery all their lives by their fear of death. We shouldn't be afraid of death anymore because we know exactly what's going to happen when we die and we know exactly where we're going to go when we die. Again, it's not that we want to die. It's not that we hasten our death. But when that day comes that we lay aside this perishable body, we look forward because even in those moments of death, we are not afraid because his rod and his staff, they comfort us. And even as the psalmist writes, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for God is with me in that moment. He's with every Christian, and he's holding our hand even as we die. You see, we're never alone. 
He never leaves us or abandons us. Even as we're dying, he is with us in that moment, giving us all the grace we need, even dying grace, to die and to go to be with him. And I believe that the first person that we see when we die is Jesus. So that's why Paul then writes, the sting of death, the weapon, if you will, death's cause is sin. That's why we die. Sin entered the world and death by sin, Paul said to the Romans. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 6.23. And the power of sin or the fuel for sin is the law. But we know that Christ has set us free from trying to live up to the law just as he conquered our sin. So again, there's really no power anymore. The only power that we should be fueled by and live by is the power of the Holy Spirit, not any other power. So that's why Paul goes on to say to the Corinthians and to us, then thanks be to God. Acknowledge and recognize the grace of God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He literally, Paul says, sets before us the victory that has already been, been granted and, and secured for us by Jesus Christ himself. He got the victory. It's set there. Now, you and I have a choice even as Christians. We can live in that victory that Christ has secured for us or we can live in defeat. The choice is up to us, but we don't have to live in defeat. That, that's our choice, to live in defeat rather than his victory. But he sets the victory in front of us. And Paul is saying, won't you live in the victory that Christ has given not only over death, and if the last enemy to be destroyed is death, that means Christ has gotten victory over enemy. There's no enemy that you and I will ever face that is greater than Christ. And so therefore, we should be living in victory each and every day and not allowing other things besides the power of the Holy Spirit to gain its control over us. With all of that said then, Paul says, so then, verse 58. In other words, based upon this foundation of truth about the assurance of our resurrection, the assurance of our victory through Jesus Christ, and, and the comfort that it should bring of what happens to us when we die and why we need to die, because we need to lay these earthly, decaying, decomposing bodies aside so that we can enjoy the glories of heaven forever. He says, based upon all that then, dear brothers and sisters, first of all, be firm. What's that mean? It means to be unshakable. It means to be settled. Here's what it means. Sorry, it took me a moment. It means to sit down and not get up. It means to get in your seat, sink down into the truth of God and who God is and all of that, and stay seated. That's what it means. And then he goes on to say, and then do not be moved. Literally then in that seated position, be anchored and be tenacious and persistent, not allowing anything else around you to pull you from your seat. 
See, so the first thing Paul's saying is, as a Christian, we got to be deeply rooted. We got to be rooted, grounded. Got to put our roots down deep in God and in His truth. That's what the first part is. And then it's out of that deep rootedness that we become abundantly fruitful. Because he says, then be outstanding out of that rootedness, that unshakableness, that settledness, that anchored position that you have in God and in his word always. In other words, continually, never taking in a sense, time off spiritually, be outstanding in the work of the Lord. What's it mean to be outstanding? It means to be excelling, to go above and beyond, literally to be overflowing. It was a word that was used to describe flooding. He's basically saying to go over your banks, if you will, you see. Wow. Soberly, I think each of us at a time like this needs to go, well, is that describing my life? Am I really being outstanding in the work of the Lord? <laughs> am I going above and beyond or am I just doing what I need to do just to get by or just to check off a box or just to make myself feel good? And, here, and here's a key too. Notice he says, in the work of the Lord. In other words, in the work God gives us to do. Not the work that we think we should be doing. Not the work that others think we should be doing. Not the Lord's work. <laughs> he doesn't say that. He says the work of the Lord. And remember back to Matthew 11, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Are we doing the work of the Lord or are we doing everybody else's work? You see, knowing, and by the way, that word knowing means to know very, very well, knowing that your labor, so now, now notice something. Paul doesn't say that serving the Lord and ministering for the Lord is easy. It's hard work. Even the work that the Lord gives us, it's got its unique challenges and, and weights and responsibilities and all that, but notice something here. There's this really cool thing between, yes, we do only the work or should only do the work in ministry that the Lord gives us to do. And yes, it's hard, but notice what he says at the very end, in the Lord. And that speaks to those three words that if I'm doing it in the Lord, that means I'm being dependent and reliant upon him for all the strength and, and the resources and the ability and, and maybe even the extra uh, stamina and all this that I need because the word labor does mean sometimes to, to work to the point of exhaustion, to be worn out and to take a beating even for the Lord. But then he says this, based upon the assurance of eternity after death in God's heavenly kingdom, and our resurrected body and all of that, notice he says, no matter what labor you do from the Lord and in the Lord, it will never be in vain. The word in, 
In vain means to be empty or worthless. In other words, he's saying whatever we do for the Lord, whatever fruitfulness our life consists of, when we get to eternity, when we get to heaven, it will never be, well, that didn't bring anything. No, in fact, Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven that we right now on earth can make eternal investments. And one of the things that Paul is saying here in this passage to us, based upon the coming of the Lord and the last trump and the change that's going to take place in all of us and death being swallowed up in the victory of Jesus Christ and perishable putting on imperishable, he's saying to us, right now counts for eternity. That's what he's saying. Right now counts forever. It matters. Because it will not be in vain in the Lord. And I'll leave you with one other verse. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. For God is not unrighteous as to forget your work and your labor of love that you have shown in his name as you have ministered and especially ministered to the saints of God. God will not forget. Jesus says, you give a cup of cold water in my name, I'll remember it. God will never forget anything that we do for his kingdom and for him. He will reward us eternally. It will be worth it. There will never be a Christian who poured out their life in service and ministry for the Lord and who did what the Lord called them to do and did the Lord's work, no matter how hard and toilsome it was, who will say, it wasn't worth it. Is this all I get is glory forever and ever and ever? And that prepared place we talked about last, is, is this it? No, 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 no. It's going to be just the opposite. When you and I see the glory of the Lord, and all that he has for us. It won't be, I wish I would have done less. More than likely, it will be, I wish I would have lived my life a little bit differently. I wish I would have done more. I wish I would have stepped up and served the Lord even more in my life. Because Paul is saying this, if we truly believe what the Bible says is coming for us, that the best is yet to come, then that should be all the fuel, all the inspiration, all the motivation you and I need for ministry each and every day. You see, prophecy about what's coming for us always should affect our practical everyday lives. That's why Paul ends this great section on doctrine with verse 58. So then, if this is true, then this is the way we should be living every day. Let's pray. God, we thank you tonight for the comfort, the consolation, the assurance, the confidence, Lord, that you give us as your children, even when we talk about something like death. Because God, the reality is that death for the Christian is simply laying aside this decomposing, decaying physical body and putting on a wonderful body that you yourself have made for us that will last for all of eternity. A body that is fit for your presence, 
a body that is fit to last for all of eternity, that, will, that is indestructible, that will never decay, never decompose, never wear out, never get sick, never get old, never experience death, never have any of the things, Lord, that we deal with here on this earth. And God, I just pray today that, Lord, in light of what's coming for each of us, Lord, as your children, that, Lord, we would be highly motivated knowing that we have been highly favored and blessed as your children to live our lives every day to serve you to the very best and the highest that we can, to literally lay down our lives for you and give our lives for you, God, because it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Thank you, God, for the wonderful truth of your word. Bring us back next week on Wednesday night that we might hear the wonderful truth about your people being caught up and raptured to be in your presence and experience a wonderful reunion with our loved ones who've already went before us. God, these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you for being here. We'll see you next week.